What is up, Asymmetry? How y'all doing? Been a hot minute. September was a monster. And Ira and I just took a short window of time to sit down and catch you up on what has been an unbelievable August, September. Sweden, uh, uh, Yosemite, giant sequoias, uh, covered wagon, Man, we have been uh, covering some territory at Mirai. Mirai and the Wild Rockies Project launched new discoveries in nutrition, so many things to report, and so many things that are catalyzing upcoming conversations on asymmetry. But this will get you dialed in to what's been happening, where we're at, and what you have to look forward to. Ira cuts out midway, and then I just go on a tremendous uh, deep dive into um, the politics of trees and the science of trees. It, I, I, I like this conversation. I love what we've been learning, and I love where we're headed as a, a, as a team and a company. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy as we prepare you for the future. Can you hear me? Are we talking? I can hear you in my right ear. I can hear you to a limited degree in my... I can hear me in my right ear and you in my left ear. That's the way it works. Uh, I think it's okay. I think what I'll do is I'm just going to take Ira out of my left ear. Oh, yeah. we just do this and we can hear... It's a little bit of DJ vibe, you know? So, it, so you took the left ear out. So you can't hear... How are you listening to me then? Just through the headphone or just I'm through I'm in your... the same room as you. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm sitting right across from you. Yeah, this better stay in. Don't cut this out. This is it's just start, it's just starting to get good. <laughs> you know what's hilarious is uh, we don't podcast with people live anymore. We're yes. looking at everybody online. So you and I sit next to each other, and now I'm staring at you. It's a little weird. It it's is a little weird. weird. It is. I got weird. used to sitting side by side with you. I know, and not looking at each other. Yeah, it made it easier to say nasty things. Totally, totally. Yeah. I, I got to look you in the eye and talk some shit now. Na- na- now you've got to stare me down and tell me exactly what you think. Say that to my face. That's right. Say it to my face. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's good to sit down. I know we were talking about trying to get scored away. Talk about the summer. Talk a little bit about Sweden. Well, here's the thing: the podcast is one of the things I enjoy doing most, and it's always the sacrificial lamb when we get super busy mm-hmm. tree sale yeah and I, and I really i really regret that it's not like it's not for any reason i mean i think it's quite valuable i, I like, enjoy it i enjoy it i enjoy it a lot and again one of the my most favorite things that we do but we knew september was going to be bad we were bracing for impact jp jp put me on notice mm-hmm. maybe six weeks before september and said be prepared for a very busy month i knew september was going to be bad last september oof yeah yeah when we when we decided on the schedule and september ended up being the catch-all for going to sweden and visiting tour and doing the sbr retreat and then we knew the tree sale we knew classes, we knew covered wagon, <clears throat> and we also knew Steen was targeting September for right. the giant Sequoia project. We'll just squeeze that in. We could probably drive overnight there and back, right? We could probably not sleep for uh, three of the... No, we could not sleep for three of the five days of that trip and be just fine. That feel, yeah, we won't even miss a beat. We'll coming come back and of, feel very refreshed and totally. energized. Yeah, coming off of five days of classes, we'll just drive overnight on Sunday 
we'll get there hitting the ground running on Monday. Just roll in and just start helping out and get trained and start uh-huh. climbing and you just start climbing. Just dive in. Giant old growth sequoias. It's all good. Yeah, I felt really sharp uh, going 230 <laughs> feet up in the air with uh, limited rest. It seemed like a perfectly good idea. I couldn't stay awake. I, I really had a hard time. I'm trying to, I was trying to be focused as Anthony was showing us how he shoots a crossbow up into, you know, 200 feet up into a tree and targeting and all of this stuff. And he's like really breaking it down super nice and neat for us. I, I, oh. <laughs> Lonnie with the visual aid oh, right man. now. Lonnie's, Showing, Lonnie's uh, pulled up an epic Ryan picture on the, of Ryan, Ryan on, on the struggle, struggle bus. bus. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I've got a helmet on and that was not for any other purpose except for me to not fall and hurt myself. Yeah, there's also a picture of you curled up at a little ball sleeping on the forest floor. Oh, there floor. I am. Yeah. Oh, there, God. God, that's great. I could not stay awake. Thanks you, for capturing that, Lonnie. Commemorated. Boom. Documented. Boom. boom document the experience. <laughs> but that was a cool trip. That was a really cool trip. Once in a lifetime kind once of an opportunity. Lifetime. Yeah, once in a lifetime experience. Yeah. There's no doubt working at Mirai, you, you definitely pay the price, but the things that we get to do are... The things that we get to do are above and beyond. It's It's been pretty spectacular. Yeah, the experience factor is pretty much through the roof, and the projects are super cool. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the, the volume and everything else kind of fitting it all in seems to be a little hectic sometimes, but somehow we manage a way, uh, find a way to get it we all done. We find our way through it. Yeah. We find our way through it. Yeah, releasing uh, the Rockies project was really quite a powerful experience. Best Best thing we've done yet. Best thing we've done yet in my mind. A lot of positive feedback, too, from people near and far to the community and stuff, which has been really cool. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a tough one to crack open again because that happened at a real catastrophic time for Mirai. So so diving back into that project, time heals. Reopen Uh, the wounds. You know, uh, there is an amnesia to life that I've come to really appreciate about challenging times. And it, and it really allowed us to <clears throat> to find the good in that project. Compartmentalize and move on. Totally, yeah, and deal with it later. Yeah, that was good. It was so fun to see it and just to be a little bit like the behind-the-scenes sneak peeks that, you know, being here for the first time while one of those was edited was really cool to see. Because well, you work. experienced filming the Redwoods project before yeah. you saw what it takes to edit it and turn it out. Yeah, editing, no big deal. Like five, ten minutes, Josh Shales just cranks it out. <laughs> as, he's, as he's editing the Redwoods project right yeah. behind us. A lot of wry smiles in the room right now. Yeah. 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 No, but it was it was cool. And it was it was great to be kind of brought in at different points and different people to get fresh eyes and see the process and get feedback from so many. It was just, it was a really cool process. I thought it was awesome. And, and the final product, it just, even though I'd already seen it and seen like earlier drafts, like watching the final one still getting kind of choked up and emotional thinking about friendships and mm. you know nature bonsai you know it was just it hit a lot of great themes it was mm-hmm. a really great really really, really great piece very complex yeah it was complex oh. and, it, and it was a, a nice yeah it was a beautiful narrative arc yeah that part at the very very end after the credits when it comes back to you and the rest of the avengers talking about going to get shawarma really on point i mean nobody knows about mr steel Nobody knows about Mr. Steel. That's right. Everybody's favorite superhero. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Superhero, villain, depends on the day. Incognito. Depends on the day. Depends on uh, where you are sitting at that point in time. (laughs) 
<laughs> you didn't want to be in the line of fire. That's you right. Be the line That's of right. Fire. Mr. Steele's about ready to take to the road again. That's where it all started. This is <laughs> covered wagon <laughs> coming at you. Call sign and Mr. Steele. Call sign Mr. Steele. No, I, I, you know, it was a, it, it's been a great run though. Surviving September was the objective, which is why we haven't been able to podcast because we've just been. I think we've been thriving in terms of the quality of the output, but it it, it has taken a toll. <clears throat> which which was anticipated, you know, and you got to put in. I think you got to put in the time and and take your lumps to to get to sort of enjoy and receive the the bounty. But you know, the trip to Sweden was a really spectacular end of the summer. Thorhol Villa and his partner Karina hosted myself and Taft. Bingo, which was an amazing trip to take Taft on not his first international trip but certainly the first international trip he'll remember and he definitely was the most excited about being able to watch unlimited movies for a period of 10 uninterrupted hours on an airplane that took the cake going and coming home unbelievable everything that happened in the middle was like that was pretty awesome and I gotta say like Tor and Karina were incredible with Taft because I had no idea what the the SBR uh, retreat was going to be like, which was 20 super hardcore, dedicated, enthusiastic, passionate boneside people locked into a room, a large room, but a room with relatively poor lighting, but they were very industrious and brought all their own lighting, so it made up for it, pretty much in the middle of nowhere in Sweden fantastic fantastic experience but before the before the sbr you know event occurred with the community tor and karina really went out of their way to show taft and i sweden and that was spectacular spectacular we spent a majority of the nights sleeping out in the wild warmed by a campfire because it was freaking cold uh, eating food cooked over an open fire. And I'm going to tell you, Tor and Karina do it right. They do it right. He is a master fire starter. Both of them completely competent in the wild environment. Picked our own berries, saw tons of old growth trees, walked through, you know, the threshold of the tree in the tundra, uh, you know, tree line as it exists out far north, saw reindeer, uh, Got to visit Old Tico, which I do have to say, <clears throat> if anybody is unfamiliar with Old Tico, it is a Norway spruce that is considered the oldest tree in the world by carbon dating of the remnants of the tree that exist underground, right? 8,000, 9,000, 8,700 8, years roughly, right? Old Tico. The above ground part, not super impressive. Let's just be really honest. Not super impressive. But it's like a, it's like a, uh, it was like seeing a, uh, uh, like a Hollywood star or a professional athlete, you know, if you're a tree geek and I'm like super deep tree geek. So seeing old Tico is like, a, it's like one of the pilgrimages I think a tree geek makes to see this relic, which is highly documented and understood. And, and it was interesting to see old Tico. They had built sort of a fence around it, which they didn't used to have according to Tor. Uh, a deck around it so you could stand above it and look down on it. Um, very architecturally designed, which I would expect nothing less in Sweden. Um, but Tor was saying that there's, you know, dozens of trees that are that older, older, and they just don't talk about them. And this is kind oh, of like, a, this is like a continual theme, right? Because 
we know with the Redwoods, especially after our recent trip and talk with Anthony and, and Steen and some of the people that were down in the Sequoias, like when you unveil a tree of a unique status, you name a tree, it's the tallest tree, it's the biggest tree, it's the oldest tree, everybody's going to go see it. Everybody's going to go see it. Everybody wants to touch it. They want to stand next to it. They want to understand this living organism that has this unfathomable characteristic, right? And so it's almost like, you know, it's almost like uh, the Ansel Adams, Jeffrey Pine on the top of Sentinel Dome was a martyr for all of the other very historic trees that have been documented but not highly publicized or... You know, Prometheus was a martyr for all of the undocumented ages of all of the ancient bristle kinds that bristlecone pines that exceed that age, right? Mm-hmm. A little different story to Prometheus, but s- same general sentiment, if you will. And it's why Methuselah, nobody knows which tree Methuselah is, you know, as the oldest living bristlecone pine. Did they say that about Hyperion too? Is that one of the redwoods that's kind of. Hyperion, the tallest redwood in the world, the tallest measured redwood in the world. Uh, was largely kept under wraps. Uh, it and appears tell the as, story they yeah. And it, it appears we now know that people have figured out which tree is Hyperion, and now they're climbing it. and And you'll probably watch the demise of Hyperion, right? You know, as a result of it. And it's like, it's 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 really it's really hard to see that, and mm-hmm. yet completely comprehend the fascination and the desire, right? The desire to go see it, the desire to be aware of it, the, the desire to interact. And be a part of that story. And there's a real connection point I'm thinking right now. It's almost with Bonsai, the whole expression, like you love the tree to death. You know, it's the same thing on a grand scale. You know, it's like, just yeah. you gotta let the tree be a tree. Yeah. Leave it alone. Let it do its own thing. You can't just over, appreciate over, it from man- afar. Yes, yep. overmanage the thing. And- uh-huh. And I think there's also like another odd, there's another odd human characteristic that I, that I honestly have experienced uh, I'm not above it. I've experienced it. And that is, that is, and, and I want to, I'm going to contextually quantify my experience inside of this because destruction is not something, towards trees is not something that I have, right? But if you can't have it, oh. then, then you destroy it yeah. or you act on it in a way that is not favorable. It's almost like, um, if I can't have it, nobody can have it. Yeah, exactly. Weird and I think Yamadori collecting is is where that can is where you can see that happen. But I think you know for the Ansel Adams Jeffrey pine, it's like, well, here is this famous pine on this rocky you know outcropping at the top of this profound granite dome in this once in a in a universe landscape. And I do think Yosemite is the most profound landscape on on planet Earth. I really do personally. Right. I want a piece of that. I want to remember that. I want to take some of that home, you know, and enough people did that. I want a picture next to it. I want to stand on it. I want mm-hmm. to climb it. I want to, I want to interact with it that the tree died, you know, and then when the tree died, it became even more attractive to, I want to break something off of it. I want to, ha- I want to tell people, I want to show people, I want to possess this in my home. You know, it's like all of those sort of human related desires or temptations that exist the selfie stick came just a little bit too late for that tree (laughs) oh that's tough sorry yeah Yeah. but it's hardcore but you're right people are people it's tough to resist yes it's tough to resist souvenirs we're a a souvenir i mean 
yeah, Darlene always tries to shut me down. She's like, God, you have so many tchotchkes. And I'm just like, I just like this little thing that reminds me of where I was. And yeah. it's like, you know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not breaking branches off of trees, but it's like that same kind of, I understand that feeling of like wanting to like look at an object and like have that take you back or something like. Well, and I think that's what it is. Like when you think about it at its base fundamental element, it's like, it's this uh, time capsule preservation of an experience and experiencing these profound living organisms or these environments or places or, or, you know, what those places and organisms do to you in that moment in time that you want to hold on to. That's the essence of bonsai, Mm -hmm. bringing the wild back to the domesticated space to remember those things, right? That's why, that's why we do bonsai. And that's why the more wild the tree, the more uh, inspirational it becomes. But it's like those pieces you want to, you don't want to lose that experience or that moment or or that thing you know and you and then you become the the destruction and it's like really interesting and that being in yosemite after climbing the sequoias and recognizing like this pilgrimage to go see not even the ansel adams tree but the place where it existed so many people made the same pilgrimage which you can drive pretty close to it now but if that road is closed Let's be really honest. It's it's a fucking gnarly, <laughs> gnarly experience. That's a real hike. It's a real hike. That's a real hike. To get to Sentinel Dome, a lot of fit people were sitting there weighing out whether that was the decision they were going to make yeah. while we were up there. I'm good right here at Glacier Point. <laughs> exactly. I don't think I need to go on. Views are pretty good right here, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It made me really wish that there wasn't a road up to glacier point because to earn that view is like it was strange to see that building and then like doing the research about it when that road's open like that's a concession stand and stuff it's just like whoa yeah Yeah, it's hardcore it's hardcore i respect yosemite for making it accessible i totally get it yeah you know and also it was great to be there when it wasn't accessible and it was shut down yeah there were very few people compared to which i've never been the other time but it's like when you when you look online at the photos and stuff you're like yeah glacier point can be pretty jam city it's a little disneylandish yeah 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 yeah. walking up there though on one of the first on one of the first constructed trails in yosemite in the steepest trail in Yosemite. And there was the uh, the the dingo uh, the dingo on the trail. <laughs> trail maintenance the, Yeah, vehicle. the trail maintenance guys out there with like their own version of the dingo here at Mariah. It was just like, whoa. Yeah. The dingo. Take the yeah. dingo on the road. Let's make yeah. it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but seeing old Tico taking it back to, to Sweden in the beginning of this like, you know, onslaught that was late August, September was was really interesting, but it was not it was not the the pinnacle of Fule File. Fiure File, the national park. I know, right? That was nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm speaking Swedish now. Everybody, everybody, <laughs> who's, listen, you, everybody who's listening from SBR, don't judge me. Don't. I'm trying. Don't judge me. I thought Taff was a native native Swede, so he yeah. could probably help yeah, me out. Yeah. Did he become yeah, Taft, a Swede when he was there? Taft. I told him his uh, his background was Scottish, <clears throat> German, and Latvian, and he said. Uh, well, that means I'm practically Swedish. And Tor goes, yeah, yeah, there are some crossovers between Scottish and Swedish. And Taft's like, see, this is like my native land. We're basically I family. Get, I get it. And Tor gave him a knife Oof. that uh, that fit on Taft's belt. He didn't take it off the entire trip. He was a fire starter. He was whittling his face. I mean, it was just like he was he was... He was born to live in Sweden. He was actually born to hang out with Tor and Karina. That's actually what it was. He yeah, was, he was good vibes. Yeah, super good vibes. But um, 
On the way down from seeing old Tico, we walked through a portion of the national park that um, kind of wound through some old growth Pinus sylvestris. And that was really, really amazing because we obviously don't have sylvestris pine native to North America. Um, so we see it in a domesticated scenario, but in terms of Swedish, the Swedish landscape, like a lot of European and and long-term occupied land masses, a majority of the old growth native forest has has been cut and is continually cut. And it's a very much a, a slower production process or cycle than the Pacific Northwest, but it's very similar that they are reprod producing Scott's pine as a timber resource, right? Mm. And so getting to see a 20-year-old Scott's pine forest, a 40-year-old Scott's pine forest, a 60, an 80, a 100-year, and then going to the national park and seeing a five or six or 700-year-old Scott's pine forest was a phenomenal experience from the perspective of seeing the youngest iteration of a Scots pine and then seeing the branching formation, the curved, super asymmetrical, absolutely unpredictable and phenomenally character-filled branching structure of a five, six, 700-year-old Sylvestris. Watching that evolution over time by driving through the different ages of the forest, it was like, it was like one of the pinnacles of understanding the aesthetic of the tree as a as a time capsule that is demonstrating the profoundly unpredictable and random acts of nature existing over time in the environment that gives rise to the aesthetic of ancient it was it was awesome it was yeah, what like education oh man it was like a capstone education for what we pursue aesthetically at Mirai right and we understand bonsai are are functioning in dog years which is to say you know you can create the kind of growth and then have that kind of aesthetic impact through removal through deadwood creation through negative space through asymmetrical uh, enhancement and continuation where you can age a tree a hundred years in a single working if the tree's ready for it you know, the, the Scott's pine down in the workshop That's right now. I was just thinking about case in point, right? Bob yeah. Muller Scott's pine just, just took a, a hundred year journey now. in time, maybe even a 200 year journey in time through branch reduction, deadwood creation and asymmetrical push. So like seeing that in the wild and in the natural environment was super reaffirming of the approach. Yeah. Yeah. And all in one short kind of, well, I mean, you were there for seven or 10 days or whatever, but yeah, it was like yeah. just Fantastic. a couple of days of walking around and hiking. It's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Walking around hiking, seeing the countryside, we fished, uh, we had to give Tor and Karina some time to organize SBR. So we went up to, um, Gravels John, which is like a, a backpacking Mecca. We stayed at a hostel. We hiked around, saw a lot of people overland hiking trekking so it, cool yeah it was rock and roll it, it, it was absolutely fantastic we ate reindeer meatloaf which i would tell you i probably wouldn't do again mm -hmm. um but when we got to see the reindeer in the wild that was like even tor was like this has never happened to me i've lived here all my life i spend a majority of my time out in the wild i've never been this close to a reindeer in the wild i mean we were like a stone's throw away from four or five reindeer with big, huge racks, velvet. And, you know, they walk around that countryside eating reindeer moss, which is this like relatively uh, almost like 
hardened and I would I would equate it to like coral maybe not quite like as stony as coral is but it's like hard and sharp and it has virtually no nutritional value and that's what they eat it was it's fascinating it's like snow white lichen that grows on the on on the surface of like soils in in the in the forest uh understory anyways seeing the reindeer yeah it was it was it was awesome it was super rad donner and blitzen and exactly yeah rudolph yeah rudolph Uh Yeah, that's insane. It sounds like it was just a great trip, though. Like, the timing, pretty good, right? I mean... I can't thank everybody enough in Sweden for the experience. I mean, uh, I got to see Joaquin, who was a student that's come and studied at Mirai. Oh, cool. He had, like, an incredible um, bird's nest spruce collected out of the urban landscape. But we, you know, the SBR retreat was handled in a way that I have not experienced a retreat before, which was every evening... Um, they had a, a fire inside of like a firehouse, which are these st- structures that exist throughout Sweden are open to anybody who wants to use them. You don't have to pay for them. You don't have to book them. You, you, you show up, you can sleep in them, you can cook in them. And if somebody else comes along, you just scoot over. It's everybody's right to be there. Um, and so every night we went to this firehouse door and the SBR team made like a, a really warm coal fire. There were raw slabs of meat, potatoes, salad, and you cooked your own steak over the fire and sat there and ate with everybody. It, it, it was phenomenal. You know, just like a total you know, fire and humanity is such a radical natural element that forms the basis for, you know, food and nutrition uh, warmth and safety, yeah. uh, as well as a sense of community, you know, open fire, raw fire and, and the capacity to prepare food over the fire. And they just, they had it, they had it nailed. I have never, in. I haven't had that experience before, especially not at a bonsai event where, you know, what the fire and what the meal did was breed the opportunity to discuss community and the nuances of community and the differences of culture. And it was just the, the conversations we had were, were, were top notch. It was awesome. It was really, really spectacular. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. It was good. So we need to, we need to have more open <laughs> fires at Mariah. That's, yeah. that's what I came home write, with. Write that down. <laughs> and I need to enhance my fire making skills because Tor made me feel like a total rookie. Total I thought, thought Taff would be our guy and we'll just call Taft up. Yeah. Yeah. Taft's yeah. got the chops. I think Tor said there's like 200 different styles of fires that you can make, which I've never thought about. Depending on the wood you have, depending on sure. the kindling, depending on the, the fire, teepee, depending the on log the log cabin, the, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and Karina, like Tor was trying to make a fire and then he had to go get something and so he left for like an hour and then Karina was like making it another way. And then like, it didn't start. Tours didn't start. Karina's didn't start. Then I tried it and didn't start. And each one of us had a different way. And Karina's like, I don't know. We'll wait till Tor gets back. But he, he took this massive log and he put it inside of the, the, this like fire cabin that we were sleeping in out, out in the environment one night. And he built like a little structure of smaller kindling around it. But all he wanted to do was to light a portion of the log on fire so that it would smolder and heat the firehouse the entire night. And it was the most amazing. I've never seen anybody light a log. You know, that's almost, that's hardcore. I thought that was impossible. You got to chop, you got you to saw it up and then you yep. got to split it. And then you have the smaller and then you work to bigger, but you're always using split lumber. Now it was just a freaking tree. 
that he caught on fire <laughs> that heated the entire cabin. It was unbelievable. So anyways, I, I walked away with a lot, a lot of experience. Life skills. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was, True fan- facts. It was fantastic. You know, and we already had our the Triscally experience and Yosemite. Yeah, and, I had a good chance to bond with those guys and get yeah, to know them a little bit better. So yeah. that was really, it was fun to follow that up by going to his backyard. So part of what we're supposed to talk about as we prepared for three minutes before we Jesus press record, mm-hmm. uh, the summer recap. How was the summer at Mirai? How do you feel about the trees? What happened? The weather? Kind of a different summer vibe than oh. last summer's vibe. Yeah. Um, hottest prolonged summer that I've ever experienced doing yeah. bonsai. I and mean, we're talking mid to high 90s for weeks on end. Weeks on end. I didn't. Um, I think we broke every record for temperature, not except for the high. Except for the high. Yeah. yeah. Except for the high. Yeah, but I, <clears throat> I have to say, uh, we learned a lot about sun damage um, this year. But more than anything, I think we really learned a lot about nutrition this summer, because mm-hmm. we've been pursuing this continual testing through Apical. David Naus using uh, the fine products that Eden, Blue Eden, Eden Gold, uh, and James Agent produce, in addition to some other manufacturers. But basically, you know, David has been uh, our Obi-Wan Kenobi of nutrition through Apical Ag Solutions. And uh, he's going to be on the podcast. I'm excited to talk with him this fall. Yeah, proof's he, in the pudding, and now it's time to talk about it. Yeah, he wouldn't podcast with us until he knew it worked, which I really respected his approach. But um, it, it's undeniable, the the change in the change in conditions in the garden. We'll still have problems and issues, and, you know, bonsai's still hard, and nutrition is not... It's one of, it's one of several pieces. You know, balance of water and oxygen still trumps all for health, but nutrition is a close second. And nutrition can actually help you correct nutrition, correct balance of nutrition inside of the tree, uh, you know, quality of water, quality of soil, and quality of nutrition in the tree as the trifecta, and then watering it correctly. This is your epicenter of health. Um, We learned so much this year. And so I think more than any aesthetic breakthrough, I've been looking at like, what is the next what is the next frontier of bonsai? Is it an aesthetic frontier? Is it a material frontier? Is it a soil frontier? And I think this year I learned uh, it's, it's absolutely a nutritional frontier because it almost allows you to completely control the growth habit of the tree, the tolerance of the tree, the, the, the potential resistance factor of the tree. And, and that was a, a massive, massive uh, victory, I thought. I thought. I, I thought the summer was punishing, personally. It felt long. Felt long. It was very long. Long, dry, and hot. Mm-hmm. Long, dry, and hot. Yeah. But um, but I think that the garden and the health of the trees is like, um, and students would say that too. Like some of the students that were here, maybe April, May ish. You know, kind of early, early, mid spring time, and then they were just here. You know, whether they were here in August or September and they were like, wow, it's like things are really have like had a market improvement. Like when you see it every day, sure, you notice things, but sometimes it kind of creeps up on mm-hmm. you. And then one day you really, oh, that, that does look like a better shade of green and mm-hmm. what we were targeting and, you know, for whatever s- specific example, I guess. But like some of the students were just like, man, it's like almost night and day for them. Day. They're gone. They're gone for four or five months. They come back and they're like, man, the, the, the garden looks great. You know, and Mariah was not unhealthy. 
You know, Mariah was not yeah. Mariah was not unhealthy. It was a I would say Mariah was in a standard bonsai cultivation state. I think it was I think it it was that it was that rise of the level that we've been looking at, you know, that that quality was, of the growth that was noticeable and a lot of students who are really apprehensive obviously, you know, the compost extract did not work. You you cannot you cannot try to blaze new trails and not fail periodically, you know, and the compost extract did not work in the bonsai context. It works in the in-ground environment. Fantastic. Sure. Right. Yep. Didn't work in the bonsai context. Fine. Right. We tried it. We understand it. We, we learned a lot about biology in the bonsai container through that. So naturally coming back to this and I respect David's approach, which was a very light handed approach to figuring out how we balance these things. We've learned a lot about species nuances, what they prefer in terms of nutrition. There's not a one size fits all, which is I think the common pitfall of common commercially available bonsai fertilizers. It is a nuanced approach. There is like a, a method to our madness. There will be a point in time where Mariah does sort of publish a grand finding of things and like creates a resource for potential options. I still think, you know, common commercially available bonsai fertilizers that are of quality are still doing their job, you know, and they still work and I wouldn't encourage anybody to change, but there, there are different solutions out there that as we have less and less chemical options to control insects and disease might be the path forward to cultivating healthy bonsai in a changing climactic condition in a increasing susceptibility to damage both cold and heat catastrophic events as well as pest and disease with less chemicals to treat them we're going for a chemical free environment here you know at mariah we have been for a long time i recognize that was not going to be sustainable and that has continued to be the goal that encouraged us to try the compost extract it's also the goal that um you know led us to pursuing apical ag solutions guidance on nutrition and i'm summer recap it works it yeah. works you gotta ding them got ding them sometimes you gotta ding according em. to david now sometimes you gotta ding them and see what happens and um so you know the compact growth the back budding the the recovery of some trees that were struck i mean like really uh, i'm into it i'm into it the numbers the testing reinforce exactly what we're seeing visually there's factors there's um, scientific, uh, provable things. It's not a observation in a witch's brew. It was very concise and continues to be, uh, as we work through the fall season and we taper out of, you know, I mean, we're going to get to a point where we're not nutritioning much. Um, so I thought that was good. Um, and I also really, really, um, was excited to do the Rockies project as like a, a summer, uh, occupation of our time, thought, creativity, etc. Um, I thought the Rockies project was spectacular. Yeah. Still do. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm big big time into that. What about you? How was your first summer at Mariah? Yeah, good. Um, different than a Las Vegas summer, but I was like surprised of like. Uh, I guess I was outside a lot more maybe than I had been in the last few years, so maybe you notice it differently, but. Yeah, it seemed it seemed pretty hot here, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't. I don't. I mean, we had lived in Seattle for a long time. I don't remember the summers feeling really that warm, but it was pretty warm here this summer. Yeah, you know, a lot of ninety five plus, which with a little humidity feels every bit as hot as one hundred five, one ten with no humidity. Yeah. So yep, yep. That was a strange thing to kind of come to terms with, but. Yeah, just getting more dialed in with watering and understanding the nuances of the different days and 
you know, picking up on that kind of stuff from you and Troy and yeah, a lot of activity. Classes were really good. The work on the trees has been like really, really inspiring. Some of the stuff has been just, I mean, so many great trees that come through here that are Mirai trees or student trees and seeing those make the transformations in class. That's always really exciting. And then, yeah, the Rockies project, just, just seeing that thing come to fruition was really a nice capstone for the end of the end of the season, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I'm really excited. I know Josh is right behind me here working on the, the Redwoods already. So it's like that one, since I was there for that project out in the field, like that one, you know, I'm really extra excited to see how that turns out because yeah. growing up in that area and, and uh, having a more of a personal tie with that and still my parents still live down that way still so that's gonna be a fun one to come out here hopefully uh hopefully later this year early next year depending on how things shake out with everything else we got going on but yeah it was a great summer it was really good summer yeah and what are your uh you know you had a vantage point of mariah as a student now you have Mm. an intimate behind the scenes perspective of what it takes to operate this garden you know, you see what goes into classes, you see what it takes to produce Mariah Live, Mariah in the Wild. Like, you're just so much more aware without, you know, discussing intimate knowledge. You know, what what has that been like to become more aware of what it takes for this place to be what it is? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody would suspect that it takes a lot of work and that's a really easy easy answer to say, I guess, but, um, even inside of that, it just to be around a lot of people that care about things is always really, really refreshing. And I think everybody here really cares about what we're doing. So that's really great. And, and through that you see, you know, there's also some ups and downs with workflow and projects that we're doing, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's been really, it's been really interesting. And like, it feels good to be a part of something positive, you know, like as a student of, we are always felt really lucky to be able to just come here and study. And you definitely get the snapshot kind of like what you're referring to. But when you're here every day, it's like, you also don't want to take it for granted because you, you're here so much, you know? So there are definitely days where like the, you know, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, things are winding down. It's like, just take a little stroll through the garden and just remember how awesome it is to be here. So I've tried to do that some just to kind of try to stay, extra aware of how cool it is here um but yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of work it's a lot of work it's so funny because uh because monday morning it's always kind of like you know you kind of gather the troops and talk to troy talk to miguel talk to you and it's like what are we doing this week and the japanese garden structure and like the all these little things that you're like you you walk through when they're done you're like oh that that's really awesome that it was done but it's like oh you know miguel was like excavating this thing and forming everything up and Mm -hmm. then he and i did some of the concrete work and you came out and helped some of that. Like, it's just like all the little pieces that went into, uh, what happens here. There are a lot of like tangible results that everybody gets to appreciate, whether you're here for a garden tour, you're watching Mariah live, but it's like, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into every single piece of everything, editing, filming, it's just things that, you know, you say one word editing and it's like, well, that, that can mean 10 minutes. That can mean you know, hundreds of hours, depending on what months, it is. Yeah. Ten, yeah. I mean, just so that, that, that's a weird thing, not coming from that background at all and seeing, uh, a little bit more of that. It's just like, wow, that's just a, a, a whole different skill set that I was not, I know it exists, but it's like when you don't see that kind of stuff, but 
Yeah, it's been it's been good vibes, man. It's been really cool. Yeah, rock walls. You've rock been, walls. You've yeah. been <laughs> rock walls. Helping you build rock walls on on. Uh, yeah, that's been interesting. Too. I mean, you helped you helped me pull out every piece of concrete, replace the benches, grade the garden. Like, yep, yeah. You've been here almost at the. You're at the end of basically ten months. Yeah, nine months going into month ten or whatever. When you yeah. think about how much has changed since you started. January first week of January. I yeah. mean, it's like that's a. It's been a big year. There's a lot of a lot of. But every year's a big year. That's the thing. every year's a big year. And when so this goes back almost to the the tree health conversation. It's like when you show up after like as a student, we were here like usually the juniper class was like February, July, and October. So you had the three kind of samplings of what was going on. And every time there'd be something different, the trees would look different. There'd be a new project that was done around here. There's something was built out. There was whatever. And now you're, you're right. It's like, it's not, it's not different, but it's, I guess it is different. It isn't different. A lot of stuff happens around here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, because like, you know, as a student, you come and you see this project started or you see the project halfway through and then you come back and maybe it's finished, maybe it's not. You wonder why it's not or you, you know, in, enjoy the fact that it is. But like now with Mariah being what it is, it's like each project, even, you know, big or small, has less and less of an impact because there's sort of more and more like finished product, pr- finished projects, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not to say it's any less rewarding or anything like that, but you just sort of, it's, each project is now diluted across a, a, war- a larger swath of a body of work. You know, each tree that gets wired is is diluted across a larger number of trees that are wired. Each tree that matures is diluted a- across a larger number of trees that are styled and finished. But it doesn't it doesn't undermine the action. You know, it's just like I, I think it's really interesting having you know seen Mariah grow over the course of time and. And, and watched it evolve. It, it has been interesting to, to watch the the changes that have occurred and, and sort of their impact on me, it, you know, because it's like uh, finishing the first rock wall. Well, man, you better believe I reveled in that. <laughs> finishing the most recent rock wall, I absolutely reveled in it. Yeah. But there's we sat all, and stared and took pictures. Yeah, and we're totally, over oh, for sure. I, looked it, yeah. at, I took pictures and looked at it when I went home. You know, I came back. The first thing I looked at for the first, you know, seven to 10 days after it was done, I start there in my morning. But like, you know, there's there's a lot of rock walls here now. and so And, and so it starts to naturalize faster, you know, and it's like a really, I think that's an interesting thing to observe. And, and there's also, I think, a real sustainability in that because you can have your heart broken by bonsai so quickly by things going wrong, yep. you know, but like the same as like good things don't carry the same amount of weight uh, for as long. Bad things don't either. It becomes not, not a taken for granted, but it is a understood conduct at Mirai, I think. So from that perspective, it has made it more sustainable instead of going high, high, low, low, high, high, low, low to have a more, you know, highs and lows for sure. But you're closer to center line, which is your anticipated expectation of what Mariah is. And that anticipated expectation has risen over the course of time. You know, so the high, high, low lows created sort of a lower bar in the average 
as opposed to the conduct being sort of more towards centerline, but centerline being higher, the expectation being higher. Sustainably higher has been the goal, right? Because unsustainably higher means you're setting yourself up for a lot of failure or unrealistic expectations. And I think I think I, I personally have gotten better at that for myself. Yeah, you're better. The team's better. I mean, the, everything's happening. While you were saying that, I was thinking about the nutrition the same way. It's like we're not trying to balance the water oxygen, all these concepts. It's like we're not trying to like swing the pendulum back and forth exactly. with, with a rapid, you know, it's like you're just, we're just nudging things in a positive direction and trying to raise the bar with every project that goes through here. Exactly. You know? And I think like over the course of time and specifically this year, I've come to what I feel is like an understanding or a physical definition of what I would consider wisdom to equate to in 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 cause and effect, action and response, uh, performance and anticipation. You know, because it's like, what is wisdom? I think wisdom is is sort of moving away from massive oscillation, highs, highs, lows, lows, and being more consistently uh, satisfied, happy. You know, sort of uh, fulfilled. Um, but but to do it on a high level, you got to raise that middle that middle average to a fairly high level to be functioning at that level all the time. Yeah, this is this feels a little bit too right in line with the conversations when we were students, and uh, you know you you would see something that we did with a tree of ours, and sometimes you're like, oh that was that was great, and then other other times they were like, oh that was okay, okay. you know, and it's like there's this uh, level of uh, you know, when you're a bonsai practitioner and you're learning, it's like, yeah, once in a while you have enough skills, you can hit a, a double or triple a home run, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like the better you get, it's a lot of home runs, a lot of doubles, a lot of triples, like things are, you know, you're not striking out. Right. And that's kind of the thing I see here. It's just like, you know, nothing really strikes out. Everything's, everything's a success. You know, there's levels of success, but it's like everything, you know, we're avoiding the mistakes. Yeah. You know? Trying we're, to, trying yeah. to. Few strikeouts. Couple few strikeouts. <laughs> Two strikeouts. Just a bit outside. <laughs> it's swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Still working on hitting that curveball. Yeah. Uh, got yeah. me out of my front foot a little bit that time. That, that's right. That's right. He got him on his back foot and he never could catch up. Got behind in the count. Yeah. What'd you think of, uh, what'd you think of climbing the sequoias? I mean, uh, we'll come back to Yosemite because you, you went there with Triscoli and, 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 and now we've been, you've been back a second time and both were pretty epic journeys. How are we doing on time? Yeah, five minutes. We're good. Yeah, maybe like five more minutes. Oh my god! Yeah, we haven't even broken. We haven't even broken into the giant sequoias yet. Holy cow! Yeah. Ira's got a chiropractor appointment. We're trying to catch up, and he's yeah. getting out of here. Yeah, after you after you climb the All giant right. sequoias. All right. Well, let's do let's do a little crush fest then. What did you think of the giant sequoias? You've never been to them. First of all, you've obviously grew up around the old growth redwoods of the of the coastal variety. Um, but now you got to not only see the giant sequoias, you and Lonnie. Uh, also got to climb them with me, which was phenomenal. Yeah. So, what do you? What did you think about the giant sequoias? Um, super impressive. Super impressive. Um, that Kings Canyon was never even really on my radar of a place to go. National Park. National Park. National Park. Sequoia Kings Canyon. Both national parks. Yeah. Right side by. Well, I guess they're both on that same road. That the, we, you can connect to them once you get yeah. into the mountains. You connect to them right across the ridgeline of the Sierras. Yeah. Really, really impressive. I mean, the area that we went to that was not open to the public because part of that had burned. That was a really a strange thing to see. So much destruction on that 
that whole canyon, that whole slope, and then still see like so many just like Titan trees that just like, just like shook that fire off, you know, like that's pretty, it was a pretty strange environment. Um, and we were there alone. That's what made, I mean, there were no other people there. So we were isolated in, in a very scarred landscape of ancient freaking trees, the largest in the world, ancient trees. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's hard to put it into words. The, the people that were there to help guide that experience too, with, I mean, Steen Christensen, Anthony Ambrose, um, most of the other folks there were on Steen's team with the seed collecting harvesting group. But, uh, you know, Kai, the guy from Germany that runs crews there in, in Eastern Europe and stuff, it's just like really interesting people. Uh, conversations were great, kind of not, not dissimilar to the, the Swedish commentary with the, around the campfire and, you know, community, community yeah. and mm-hmm. stuff like just super cool. Strong like, group of community. Yeah, yeah. Welcomed, welcomed us right in. I mean, it was just like, no, like we knew those guys forever and they knew us. Like it was super, super easy to bond with them and have a good relationship. But the trees were, were insane. The, you know, that first day kind of scouting and seeing Anthony and I believe Eric was the gentleman that was helping him with that. Um, and the crossbow and trying to target how to, you know, which trees they wanted to rig and all that was really interesting and, and seeing where the better cone crops might be and hearing them talk about their experience. It's like, it's like you had somebody give you a guided tour. Mm-hmm. So there was like different layers of information to, especially for folks like us who are like kind of tree geeks. It's like, they were giving you, giving you like a backstage pass to like what was happening there oh you know nice, nice yeah, yeah backstage pat yeah for yeah, sure it was just it was incredible and then and then to actually get up in the tree the next day go through all the training and then in all you know you you myself and, and lonnie all got to climb and and then once you got to the top like anthony's at the top so you, you take your time up there with anthony and you know talk about you know, the canopy and look at it you're looking from the inside out at you know 230 240 feet up it's just like that's a most people have climbed trees when they were a kid or whatever else. And I, uh, you know, I know you talked with Tim and from the other project and had him on the podcast too. And it's like, there definitely is like a kid like thing that kind of happens when you're climbing a tree, Mm -hmm. the rigging set up and going into full on uh, inchworm mode. Uh, Took a little longer to get to the top than I anticipated. Probably more physically, a little more physically demanding. Yeah. Strange, strange. Those ascenders, those, if anybody's familiar with that climbing style, it's just like, I've never done that, so it was a little little strange to get used to, but really cool, man. I mean, it was just uh, just being there. It was like it was like a very surreal kind of experience. Yeah, you know. Yeah. To to explain that to people and a couple of like friends that knew I was gonna go were like hit me up like right away and were just like tell me all about you know what was that like and I'm still processing. I guess to some point, it's like I've been thinking about it. Just walking around the garden today, watering you still still in the back of my mind is a very fresh experience that was just eye opening and. And hearing the the one conversation in particular with you, Steen and Anthony, and I don't know if we'll end up being able to share that later or not, but um, mm. that conversation was really, really interesting. And people that were there listening were like, hey, is that conversation going to be available to talk about? Can, like, we, hear was, that? Can it, we hear that again? It yeah. was really good. So I think uh, if nothing else, uh, the experience was great. The relationships that we kind of helped forge, and you already knew the, a lot of those guys, but um, being able to follow up them with them again and maybe do some other projects in the future just felt like everything kind of aligned. Like it all, it all, it all made sense and was worth it. Yeah, yeah it was a cool. The whole trip was really cool, like that. Yeah, yeah, I totally um, agree. If you got to take off, go ahead. I might, I might sit here and wrap with the 
asymmetry listeners a little bit longer. Do but it if, if you want to. If you want to stick around, yeah, I got to. I got to go. go. For okay, it, all right, I'll, ca- I'll catch you later. Yeah, so I, I really kind of tapped into to this community, but you know, it was really interesting climbing the giant sequoias. Uh, I met Steen Christensen when I was climbing the the old growth redwoods, coastal redwoods, sequoia sempervirens with Tim Kovar, who we who, who we've podcasted with, and is just an absolute prime spirit in terms of you know his respect and and i think his uh, admiration of of the tree um but steen happened to sort of wander through that project at the grandfather tree which was the name of the redwood that we climbed and steen said hey you want to climb a sequoia it's a totally different experience um and that and then that sort of birthed this whole opportunity to to go climb with Steen. We podcasted with Steen. If you haven't heard that, Steen Christensen, phenomenal podcast, amazing person. And when we went down there to see what Steen was doing uh in Redwood Canyon, he talked about it on his podcast about the heat of these forest fires creating such big devastation that the the epicenter of these fires will have a very hard time repopulating because the cone-bearing trees on the outskirts are going to have a hard time regenerating into the interior of these much hotter and much grander fires. So in the past two years, almost 20% of the giant sequoia forests have burned over the past two years of, of fire season in, in California. Um, and so, you know, right now there's a big question about how do we handle the catastrophic events of prolonged fire suppression and changing climactic conditions that are leading to these more catastrophic events. We've never as a as a modern society had to answer this question and really figure out how to solve these problems. And there are really differing perspectives on this. Do we uh, function as complete pure naturalists, where we are hands off. We we let the environment and the, and nature do its thing. Do we recognize that we have had a tremendous impact, both in our suppression of the fires, our our you know impact on on climactic conditions and their continual change, and um, you know go through this process of harvesting cones and um, helping to regenerate the forest so that we can potentially buffer with the lack of that canopy cover, with the lack of that uh, soil retention, with the lack of that potential, you know, uh, relationship between the tree and moisture, both in the soil as well as the release of moisture, um, you know, in the cloud conditions and the, the, the air characteristics and factors. You know, if you deforest a rainforest, it becomes a desert because no longer does moisture drop on that canopy. And I, I can't explain uh, in my uh, ignorance of the subject matter why that happens, but it is a fact. I witnessed it in Nicaragua when my sister lived there and I visited her. Uh, it is a, of major concern, you know, with the, the, the depletion of the rainforest in Brazil and the cattle farming and ranching sort of increasing. And, you know, so is that going to happen in the Sierras when you lose these titanic trees and this titanic green mass? Um, 
And so, you know, there's a big question. And then, and then some people are even saying, maybe we not only reforest the burned areas, but we reforest areas that used to exist with this that have naturally transitioned to try and, you know, alter conditions beyond the boundary of where we're seeing sort of a natural state of, of transition from, you know, scrub to mixed conifer. Um, so, so this is a big question. And there's a lot of mentalities that are offering their insights, there's organizations, there's lobbying, there's political considerations, there's economic considerations, there's such a massive conversation of how to handle these events. And, you know, Steen is is a passionate individual who is able to grow trees, propagate trees, and right now in in the Kings Canyon region, they are harvesting cones to be able to take the genetics that exist, populate those genetics as young seedlings and and replant with a and and they're trying to develop planting schemes and approaches and really work at it. And at any point it might get shut down. At any point it might move forward. It is really an interesting ground zero for how to respond to the change of climate in the in the native forests of North America. So, you know, getting to go down and experience this, I think the Mirai team, Lonnie, Ira, and myself, were not super aware of what we were going down there to do. We knew that we, at least I knew I was going to get to climb a giant sequoia. That was the birth of this whole thing. But as we were down there, we recognized there's like a greater cause and there's a greater reason for us to be there. And we're still kind of teasing that out, but certainly meeting Anthony Ambrose, who, you know, if the name sounds familiar, he's worked with uh, National Geographic. He's worked with, um, uh, hey, Lonnie, who's the, who's the great narrator of planet Earth? I know. David Attenborough. He's worked with David Attenborough. He's worked with a lot of um, institutions and major um, organizations that are exploring big tree canopies, etc. But Anthony Ambrose is a brilliant uh, vascular researcher studying water movement in giant sequoias, doing cutting-edge research to answer questions of where where does their water come from? How are they metabolically active? How much water are they using? Where's the, you know, how much is coming in from the canopy? We know coastal redwoods take in condensed fog. How do giant sequoia take in water through that uh, higher alpine, you know, uh, dew point through that higher alpine uh, moisture that occurs periodically in the summer in the form of rainfall? Um, You know, when does water move back down? When does water move back up? At what point do these systems throughout the tree transition? He's amazing. And we're going to get to talk to Anthony on the podcast. I am so excited because watching him as a representative of the ancient tree society, um, really pushing this science and the threshold of this science and Anthony pairing with Steen Christensen, who's doing this reproductive project in combination with Christy Brigham and the brilliant ecologists that are trying to observe and make the decisions that sustain Kings Canyon, Sequoia National Park, Yosemite National Park, the Mariposa Grove, which is a part of Yosemite. I mean, you're talking about land masses and forest management, uh, prescribed burns, fire ecology, uh, forest ecology. This is like a, a very, this is the cutting edge 
of of managing the natural forests with the understanding that they are being so heavily impacted by human beings that if we don't manage them they're just simply going to disappear. Yeah, so it was it was a, it was a phenomenal trip. Now, climbing the giant sequoia completely different experience than climbing a coastal redwood. I mean, uh, start to finish, top to bottom, the base of giant sequoias, if you've ever experienced them, they are the largest trees on earth, which is to say, you know, General Grant um, is the largest single standing measured uh, organism on earth, the giant sequoia um, in the ancient forest um, that exists in, I believe, Sequoia King. I, I, I'm not even sure which one it, it, it exists in, honestly, which sounds terrible. I'm so sorry. But like, I'm so captivated by the physical tree themselves. I've been to Sea Grant and the President's Grove, um, but I couldn't tell you which park it exists in. Anyways, uh, massive, massive base and buttress from the very beginning, gigantic thick trunk. You know, coastal redwoods are cylinders uh, for the most part. They do have a buttress, obviously, and the older they get, the more that buttress of organic detritus accumulating and providing a foundation for the swelling of the trunk, you know, but but giant sequoias are a different style and, and structure altogether. Incredible cinnamon bark that stands out like a light bulb when the sun hits it in the forest of this mixed conifer variety. You've got sugar pine, you've got uh, Jeffrey pine, you've got ponderosa pine, you've got, um, you know, subalpine fur or fur of different varieties in terms of abies. Um, you, you have a, a sort of a, a very mixed bag of trees that exist inside of this forest. And we were in Redwood Canyon, um, in the Kings Canyon National Park, Redwood Canyon, where, where the big, where one of the big fires occurred. Um, but the biggest thing about the giant sequoia that I noticed is as you climb the informality of the branching structure of giant sequoia is one of the most freeform, unpredictable, and artistic expressions of the aesthetic of ancient that I've seen in any ancient tree anywhere as I've seen ancient trees across the world. And I hunt down ancient trees everywhere we go. Hunt sounds bad. I seek out ancient trees everywhere we go to be inspired by this aesthetic of time and the random acts of nature that act on the form of the tree. You couldn't... Um, creatively, you could not creatively conceptualize the random branching patterns and the way that each giant sequoia is a standalone organism. When you see the ancients and you see the middle-aged and you see the youthful giant sequoia, the progression when compared to the Pinus sylvestris of Sweden and compared to the coastal redwood of the Pacific coastline, the progression of random shapes and forms and occurrences in a giant sequoia it is so unpredictable. There is not a pattern. There is not a predictability. It is a standalone, unique, each tree completely and totally authentically unique. I mean, it, it was phenomenal. And so climbing into this ancient and being at eye level of these other ancient trees that are 280 plus feet, 240, 260, 280 plus feet that you're looking up at, and you can only see sort of the origin of interest, or you can only, uh, you know, imagine what the branching must look like. Climbing up into this, seeing the branching firsthand, experiencing the girth and the size of the branchings. Most of the branches in the old growth sequoias are larger than any other tree in the forest growing around them. If you look at the grizzly giant of the Mariposa Grove in the southern entrance of Yosemite, its branches are larger than any other non-sequoia tree in Yosemite in terms of their girth. And there are some gigantic trees in Yosemite that are not giant sequoias. 
You know, so when you start to get up into that and you're physically interacting with the mass of the structure of these trees, it becomes very obvious and very awe-inspiring how incredibly impossible it is that this is a living organism that on a daily basis has a system of vascular movement and resource production inside of it that sustains this thing. Because the scale and the size dwarfs human beings to a point where you feel literally like an ant. And that was the experience of climbing the giant sequoia. The coastal redwood was tall. The giant sequoia proportionally dwarfed the experience of being a human being. It, it, it was absolutely phenomenal. So, you know, the, the, the trip was fantastic. Now we ended up obviously making a side trip to Yosemite. Like we're down there, you know, within striking distance of Yosemite. And, um, and there are, uh, some aspirational projects that Mariah is sort of actively working towards, um, and sort of feeling out the logistics of, which, you know, Mariah in the Wild is not just like, hey, you guys want to go to the woods and make a project? It's like, we've, we've gotten, we've gotten more and more aware of what it takes to do these projects well, and also the scale and size of the project, the details that are required have become more complex as the questions that we ask and aspire to answer through Mariah in the Wild become more more and more uh, educated and informed. And so, um, you know, we took that opportunity and one of the best parts about Yosemite is that it's, a, it's obviously a very dynamic environment, but several of the, of the components of Yosemite that are sort of staples of the summer Yosemite rush and Glacier Point being one of those, the roads were closed, closed for maintenance this year. Um, and so the population that are in these areas that are usually so highly occupied at this time of year, the population of people that were there was limited to those people who are willing to, to make the hike from the valley floor up to the very top rim of Yosemite. You know, it's just a 3,200 vertical feet of elevation gain over, you know, roughly like 4.2, 4.4 miles. I mean, it's totally doable. Every, every age, every, uh, you know, walk of life was making this hike, but, but you had to want to be up there. There was no doubt about it. You had to want to be up there. It was raining. It was, you know, blowing, uh, clouds, fog, moody light. It, it, it was, it was, it was absolutely wonderful to be in Yosemite, uh, and to have that occur on the tail end of the trip to the giant sequoias, because, you know, one of the more inspirational trees that exists in modern culture is the Jeffrey Pine of Sentinel Dome in Yosemite that Ansel Adams photographed continuously over his career as a, as a photographer of Yosemite. You know, and if you're familiar with this Jeffrey Pine, all you have to do is, is, is Google Ansel Adams Jeffrey Pine to see a picture of it on the top of Sentinel Dome's stately noble tree. That tree is dead. It's dead now right? It, 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 it was visited to death. It was loved to death. Uh, and we really wanted to see Sentinel Dome, not because that tree still exists and we want to go see the tree. The tree's no longer there. I, in fact, I don't even know if there's remnants of it there. And I, and I still don't know because we didn't make it all the way to Sentinel Dome. It was a, it was a, a, a monster hike uh, with really 
uh, challenging weather. But, you know, just getting up there and seeing um, what it takes to get up there from the valley floor and then experiencing the weather of Yosemite, there's never a wasted moment in Yosemite. If you are in a landscape that grand, you're blessed to be there, right? So we experienced that trip um, and got to kind of rock out. But man, the giant sequoias uh, was something else, something else. And you know, if you're looking to know more, uh, experience more, be aware of more, check out the Ancient Tree Society and what Anthony Ambrose is doing. Um, there will be more about this project. Again, we're going to be speaking with Anthony. We're going to uh, circle back with Steen after our time spent with those two wonderful gentlemen to see what's going on, to talk about with our enhanced understanding how their projects are moving forward, etc. And I'm sure you'll be hearing more about the Ancient Tree Society. But you know, we're going to be moving uh, back into podcasting on a more frequent basis with uh, with with some tremendous guests. And again, the David Naus uh, Nutrition Podcast is coming. That's going to blow minds. If Jay, if you thought James Agent was uh, fascinating or um, you know totally crazy, uh, David will give him a run for his money from every perspective, uh, both in his knowledge of physiology, nutrition, behavior of plants, where he's headed. Uh, with apical and cutting edge science of analytics, as well as, you know, just like this um, savant level knowledge of nutrient and mineral interaction and how they impact the tree, what functions they, uh, you know, perform in the tree, how temperature, humidity, uh, you know, conditions of the growing environment influence nutritional application. I mean, it's like, it's like, we're going to take you, we're going to take you to, uh, you know, Loch Ness, the, 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 the deepest part of Loch Ness. We're going to take you to the bottom of the lake in terms of information with David. Um, but it's exciting. It's exciting. You know, wrapping up the summer at Mariah, headed into the fall, we all need to, uh, recover a little bit here and, um, and getting to share these experiences, these journeys, and this wonderful world of information that so many talented people are digging into and through our small little lens, you know, and who would have known when I decided at 12, I was going to study with Mr. Kimura. And when I went to Japan and I apprenticed myself to him for six years, and when I came back and I started Mirai and all I knew was I was going to make bonsai trees, who would have ever thought that in 2022, that we would be climbing redwoods, sequoias, seeking out the most ancient trees in the world, talking to the most cutting edge scientists in their respective, you know, bodies of knowledge and and really using bonsai as a contextual representation of our relationship with the natural environment. I mean, I I'm so proud of where we're at and what the team has accomplished and also I can't even tell you how optimistic I am about where we're headed because when I say we've just scratched the surface, the things that we are conceptualizing and working towards as a team right now with Mirai blow everything that we've done to this point out of the water. And and that is super, super exciting. And it better be because I got to tell you, a lot of days it's a lot it's a lot harder work than i think i could get up for unless i was this invested in it and i think the team would echo that we we have got to be we have got to be it's got to be really rewarding in order to put in the kind of energy and time but guess what it is it is and you guys get to benefit 
We thank you so much for um, for listening, and uh, hopefully that catches you up. If you are feeling starved of a podcast, you know this is a brief sort of moose bouche for what's coming. Um, you'll want to tune in, tell your friends about it, spread the word if you can. Let people know what we do. If you find it interesting, if you think it applies, um, we certainly would appreciate it. The more uh, reach our community has, I think it encourages more and more talented people to want to converse and interact with us. And that, you know, increases the listening uh, interest. It increases the knowledge base that we all get to reference and benefit from. Um, you know, and Mariah's been built off of word of mouth. We, we, we really have been built off of our community spreading the love. Um, and we continue to need your help to do so because it really is taking us to new heights, what your support has, has done for us. So we thank you. We love you. We're going to be, uh, blowing your minds and, um, we look forward to the future. All right. Kudos.